Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Julie Swift. She's a vice president at Waypoint. More importantly, though, I would call her even the queen of culture. She probably wouldn't call herself that because she's too humble, but she's going to talk about what does it mean to really be a culture champion in your business. Stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Hey, thanks for checking out another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. I have someone on the show today who I've been waiting to get on for quite a while. It's someone that I met really just a few months ago, and we've had just a couple of random interactions since then. Her name's Julie Swift. She's the Vice President of Food Service at Waypoint. She's an incredible leader in her own right. She really understands culture and management. She also has a killer perspective on sales. You're really going to enjoy this episode today. Julie, thank you for being here today. Hey, thank you, Blake. I appreciate being here. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, first of all, where are you calling in from? I am calling in from my home office in Springfield, Missouri. Okay. Now, how's Missouri today? Well, you know what? Missouri's on lockdown. That's how Missouri (laughs) is today. So along with a lot of other people across the country um, that are working out of home offices, that's where I am. So talk to me about, um, you know, so for the, for the listeners, this episode is being recorded. Today is March 27th. It's a Friday. Uh, we're, seeing a, we're seeing many states actually locking down. Um, Julie, a lot of people are jumping into this remote work, this sort of home office style. Uh, do you typically work from home? Do you typically, are you comfortable with something like that? I mean, what, what's that look like for you? I typically do work from home. However, I travel a great deal in my position. So um, I've had to move the yoga mat into the (laughs) office because I'm not quite used to being here as often. And um, I think my husband is really looking forward to the day when things can resume to normal, (laughs) if you know what I mean. Sure, sure, (laughs) sure. Now, it feels like there's people like, you know, so I work from home myself, uh, a lot of, of, fellow entrepreneurs, business owners that I know also work from home. You have a large amount of the workforce today who, because of the stay-at-home order, maybe they work for a non-essential business, they're also working from home. And I wonder how many people are kind of trying to figure out this, this structure of their day. You know, how do you actually stay productive and work from home? Uh, I don't know if you saw the video of the, uh, the woman using Zoom for the first time. Yes. And she went to the bathroom while didn't realize like, her video <laughs> camera was on. So there's a lot of growing pains right now. You got any advice for people who are in this journey for the first time? Gosh, based on personal experience, I can say that my best advice is to let the other people in your home know that you're <laughs> on a video conference with 174 other people when your husband leans in to give you a kiss goodbye <laughs> and you're in the middle of presenting. So he immediately caught you know, the, the screen in his peripheral vision and was mortified. 
And so then he just kind of leaned in and waved. And <laughs> um, but no, you know what? Such a, such a great point. I have actually even considered putting a short YouTube video together and just saying, "Hey, here's some tips." on how to you know, transition into a work from home. I think natural light is really important. I think the things that make you comfortable and inspire you, if that is a diffuser or if that is a, a, um, you know, a vase of fresh flowers, <laughs> whatever that might look like, um, that would help you be more productive and stay focused. I think that's important. I also think it's really important to get out of the house, walk, um, get fresh air, uh, sit down at a different place than your desk to have lunch or to have a snack or an afternoon um, tea or whatever that might be. So my best advice would just be, it's probably going to look different for everybody. That's right. So make yeah. that space comfortable and uh, make it uniquely you. You know, hearing your story about your husband reminds me of that old YouTube video of the uh, guy presenting on Skype and his, his kid like opens the door and crawls in behind him. And like the mom just like whirlwinds in and grabs the baby. Have you seen that? <laughs> I have seen it. You know, it's I just have seen it. Kind of the fun of all this though, is there's a, there's another level of authenticity here. I mean, people, you know, in some ways you r relationships become all the more powerful and meaningful when you sort of strip away the, I don't want to say strip away the professionalism. I mean, I think you're still fully able to be professional and cordial and tactful, you know, via Zoom or what have you. But there's a little bit of a level of relatability, I think, that's happening through remote work and through Zoom and all these other, you know, social media channels. It's kind of a silver lining in my eyes. It's, it's kind of, it's allowing people almost to connect more intentionally where the alternative is you, a lot of times you have an office full of people that never really engage or really have... Mm -hmm a conversation. Um, True. I so agree with that. I think if I think about my personal life and my business life, um, I've been using um, Skype or Zoom with the video side of it for months now. And that's really because my entire team is remote and I want us to see each other. Uh, but we really adopt that more in the workplace. But even with my friends, we have, I don't know if anyone's heard of Marco Polo. Oh yeah. My wife's uh, all about it. Yeah. I'm all <laughs> about it too. So my friends, um, you know, just this morning we were saying, Hey, we're all going to start our day out with a happy dance. And so we put the, you know, the, set the <laughs> phone up and we put our favorite song on or a song that we thought we could jam to my, mine was Benny and the Jets. Uh, <laughs> And we did our happy dance and we passed that around and um, it just provides up, you know, a level of connectivity mm -hmm. that, uh, like you said, is probably a little bit more deliberate. Sometimes it's fun and goofy and funny. And sometimes it's that you want to be eye to eye, face to face mm -hmm. with the person you're talking to. You want them to know they have your attention mm -hmm. and that you're listening. So I appreciate that about it. Well, and it's even for me when I'm recording podcast interviews, I mean, the podcast doesn't go, I mean, I have a backlog of videos that'll eventually go on YouTube, yeah. but even recording an episode, it, it, for me, it feels like the quality of the episode is totally different when I can actually see the person and engage with them as opposed to someone who maybe calls in or, uh, you know, what have you. Um, what, totally about, agree. what about leaders right now who they're, they're leading remote teams for the first time? 
And because I'm sure there's some leaders who are all levels of panicky in terms of, can I trust my people? How do I know they're still being productive? How do I manage someone who isn't directly in the office? Um, there's even some businesses who, you know, really their belief systems being challenged right now. I think about uh, the Yahoo CEO, former CEO who totally eliminated re- remote work entirely when she came in and said it doesn't work. You know, you have, you have bosses right now who deeply believe that remote work is not effective and yet their team has to be remote right now. Any advice for that leader who's apprehensive or wondering how do I actually manage these people well, especially since you already manage people remotely? You know, what does that right. look like for you? Gosh, I want to... I want to be careful not to insult anybody who is having that rush of emotion about, oh my gosh, you know, can I really trust people in this environment? And so I don't want to make this a criticism on that kind of a reaction. But what I would say is when you see, when you see parents whose children are behaving badly it's a, it's a bad reflection on the parents. <laughs> it's not really a bad reflection on the children. And so many times, if you can fix the problem with the parent, then you can, you can fix the problem with the children. So I guess you know where I'm going here. Yeah, but, now this, um, this is a challenging thing to say. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's like when the boss complains about their employees and you think, eh, well, maybe it's the employee. Right. Maybe it's not. Yeah. So I really do uh, believe that This is a fast forward to what the future is probably going to look like with remote work. So the first thing I would say is find a place of peace and embrace it because Mm -hmm. even post COVID-19, I'm not sure work will ever completely return to the non-remoteness that it Mm -hmm. was before. Mm -hmm. Um, The second thing that I would say is if you don't trust your people to be productive, then you don't have the right people. Mm. And probably the third thing I would say is check yourself. Mm-hmm. Make sure that this is not something, because look, we've all had work experiences that have either had a positive influence on us or a negative influence on us. So if you're carrying the baggage of a negative influence, then I would say, you know, work through that. Try to overcome that and recognize that. The vast majority of people want to do, I truly believe this, want to do the best job they can. They want to succeed. Maybe bring them a little bit tighter into the vision mm. of, where they're all, of where we're all going and what their part of getting there is. Um, I've found that with people who I feel like are not maybe producing at the level that I think they're capable of, I'll spend a little bit of extra time helping them understand how significant what they're doing is to the whole. And sometimes that can be very, very powerful, not only for that individual, but for you as a leader um, in having that conversation. And I think the, the, the power of that insight is that sometimes leaders, they, they view it the wrong way in the sense of they see it out of frustration of why doesn't this person see the big picture And it's kind of like, well, well, why would they? You know, they don't have your level of visibility or control or responsibility. You know, all they know is literally what's right in front of them. And so I think that's a powerful insight, helping someone really see the whole picture and knowing why their work is so important. Um, You know, listening to you and and for for our listeners, 
you know, I've, I've had quite a few conversations with Julie and Julie, you have such an incredible insight on culture, on leadership, on management. It's very easy to talk to you and know that, you know, what your perspective is going to be literally right on with um, really what I think is the right perspective on leadership. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, who is Julie Swift and like, really, what's your journey been like? You know, we don't have a lot of time. I have so many things I really want to dig in on our conversation, but I, I got to know a little bit of the bio. I got to learn a little bit of the backstory <laughs> because as I talk to you, I'm like, man, this person is, is obviously a really great leader, obviously really cares about her people. I'm sure your journey has been incredible you know, give the listeners a little bit of insight, you know, what has your career looked like? Gosh, um, thank you 10 times over for all of those absolutely fantastic comments. I don't know that I see myself exactly as you see me, but gosh, I wish everybody I came into contact with saw me that way. (laughs) So thank you. Thanks so much. Um, You know what? I feel like careers in general and mine is no different. It's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a patchwork. And so some of those pieces are pieces that we've had to put together ourselves. And some of those pieces are pieces that we are the way we are because of bad leaders mm. and not wanting to be like that and making a very conscious decision um, about not ever making someone feel the way you were once made to feel. The probably, uh, gosh, the, the most significant thing for me is, is probably collaboration. If I had to say there's one word that has driven my career, um, I was raised by a dad that um, valued my opinion, that never gave me the answer to a single, and in my Texas twang, cotton picking thing. <laughs> Um, and so therefore I think built a, you know, a a mind and a confidence that you can find ways and you can find the answers. And if it feels right, then it probably is right. And if it feels wrong, then it's definitely wrong. So I think I've had that sort of moral compass to go off of, and I'm eternally grateful for a dad that you know, also didn't recognize that a girl was different than a boy in terms of what could be accomplished. I can remember at one point having a conversation with him about being an astronaut. Um, So there were never any limitations on what could be achieved. I see a lot of um, young women and young men in the workforce today who are so hungry for that kind of support. And a lot of times when we work our way into leadership, we have this belief that we're all of a sudden supposed to revert to this completely separate and different set of rules because now we're in leadership. (laughs) My air quotes just went up. Um, And so what I would say is everything you know to be a great leader, you probably learned on the playground in the first grade. (laughs) Mm. So, you know, it's the common things. Don't exclude anyone. Um, You know, be thoughtful, be kind, Um, you know, um, don't shame someone, don't put someone down. Uh, So I think when you do, and I'm, you know, you step into leadership and you have to really check yourself. You have to really stop and think, 
what do you want to portray? And you've got to be deliberate about that. So if I have to say, hey, what does the bio look like? It's a hot mess. That's what the bio looks like. I've made so many mistakes, I can't even count them all. Uh, But what I know is that I used every one of those to do a little self-correct, to get me on the right path. I truly believe the path to success is paved with failure. And anybody who's ever invented anything knows that too. <laughs> so I, uh, I absolutely and unwaveringly believe that if you can find a company to work for that allows you to make those mistakes, you're going to grow in ways that you never even imagined possible. Hmm. So that's what I've been truly blessed with is I think an upbringing that set the stage for um, confidence and kindness um, and transparency and, um, you know, a set of employers that allowed me to grow. And when the opportunity to grow, um, you know, came to an end, then I left Mm. and went somewhere else where I could grow. So, so uh, it looks different for everybody. Unstereotyped leadership is my favorite hashtag these days. <laughs> you know, there's so much to unpack though of your story because I'm, I'm, you know, a few things that come to mind. First of all, you know, even that last bit you just said, you know, talking about when the growth opportunities really stopped. And I know, I know you mean that even beyond like a literal title, but like growing as a professional, you know, you made the decision to move on somewhere else. And a lot of people, when they, they are in a job where they don't feel that happening and yet they are very, um, uh, they're inactive. They're, they're passive. They're waiting. You know, I just talked to someone who they said they're miserable in their job and I said, what are you going to do about it? And he said, well, I think I'm going to work here for five more years. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's an eternity. Oh, that's so miserable. I think it's insightful that, that you are willing to pull the levers you need to pull to move yourself forward. The other thing that I think is really interesting about your story is it's interesting to me, you know, you made this comment of how, you know, leadership really isn't that complicated. I mean, it's, it's hard, you know, it's challenging, but like how you treat people and how you lead people, it's not like we're solving calculus here. You know, the things that you mentioned, it's, we're talking about empathy. We're talking about treating someone with human dignity and respect and seeing ways to promote them and help them grow and develop. And yet, even though these concepts are really simple, it's amazing to me how there are people in leadership who just cannot, for whatever reason, either they overcomplicate it or they, they just don't understand what it means to be a leader. And it's kind of like, you've probably heard the, the cliche of like the leader versus a manager, you know, the leader kind of, and there's yeah. all the things that follow that. And then the manager and all the, the things that follow that, you know, why does it seem like this concept of leadership is so challenging? for some people to really, I guess, get or for it to click or for them to kind of really see, oh, oh, that's a leader, not how maybe I've always done it? Yeah, it's a great question. I can, you know, speak from personal experience when I say that uh, the first leadership position I had terrified me. And I was terrified by um, the fact that I might make a mistake. And then when I started to realize that I'm absolutely, positively, 100% definitely going to make a mistake, then I just had to think about how am I going to handle the mistake when I make it? And how I'm going to handle it is I'm going to say, Blake, 
wow, I was wrong there. I made a mistake. And it's, it's in that that you develop trust, that you show empathy. Uh, I'm not saying go out there and on purpose make a mistake, but boy, when you get, when you get a couple of those under your belt, especially with um, you know, individual team members, it's a little bit easier to admit a mistake, I feel like, to a group and go, hey, gang, you know, we could have done better here and you know, whatever it might be. But when you go one-on-one with somebody, where you say, hey, I failed you here. This is what I should have done. There is such great power in that, not only for the leader, but for the recipient of that message. And that's what we've got to be willing to do. We've got to be willing to be authentic. We've got to be willing to be real. We've got to be willing to admit that my form of leadership might not look anything like yours because we're different people. And somehow we've created this stereotypical leadership model. I feel that men see this just as much as women do. There's kind of this idea of, uh, you know, what color shirt you're going to wear and and what color tie you're going to wear and whatever kind of facial hair you're going to have or not have. And for women, it's, uh, it's power accessories and power colors. And, oh gosh, you've got to, you know, spend this on a suit or you've maybe got to get Botox if you're starting to get wrinkles because somebody might think you're older than you are, whatever it is. It's like, you know, forget all that. Forget all that. What I know is that people connect with the most genuine, authentic version of you, that's what people are going to connect with. And so they'll know that it comes from that place. When you also get in that vortex of making a decision, a tough decision that you've really got to make, you can lean on that as a leader. If you've been out there and nothing wrong with reading leadership books, I've, I've read probably a dozen in the last six months. But, um, you know, what I would say is that Find the parts of those leadership models that are you mm. and adopt those. Look to other people. Certainly look to, you know, read and understand as much as you can about leadership. But if you're, if you're doing someone else in that, then when times get tough, you're, you're going to find you're not there anymore. You're going to be trying to go, okay, well, what would, you know, Simon Sinek do (laughs) or what would Brene Brown do or, you know, whatever that might be. And those are helpful to help prop up the parts of yourself that are already there. So that's what I would say. I would just say that if you're being authentically you and you're genuinely leading from the person that you are, it will begin to come natural and it will grow and become more powerful with you know, every day that goes by. Well, and you know, not, not everyone is, and I guess this is probably part of like the beauty of the journey is you're sort of like becoming in being more authentic and genuine, you're kind of coming to terms with who you are and your skill set and your value system and, and what you bring to the table and how that may be totally different from what someone else brings to the table. I think it's hard sometimes for people to really I don't want to say look in the mirror in, in sort of like a negative sense, but really to understand who they are. And I think that's why it's easy sometimes to rely on sort of these superficial, you know, like, oh, that's a power tie or that's, a, you know, these things that we think give us credibility and authority, but really with our people, I mean, it doesn't really, it doesn't move the needle at all. Um, no. So, and it's, it's almost, it's, it's kind of a similar conversation a little bit in the sales world. 
you know, I, I feel like in the sales world, a lot of salespeople are really, from the very first impression, are really trying to either create a persona. Um, you know, I'm personally on a mission against all digital marketers, um, which, which not actually all digital marketers, because I'm a digital marketer myself in some ways, but especially like the Facebook guru style marketer where, you know, you have this growing culture of salespeople out there who are very much into the persona they can present to you and the exclusivity that comes with working with you and all of these things rather than having like a legitimate, and maybe I'm a terrible salesperson. I don't know. But I, for me, it's just like, I feel like my approach has always been just, I'm just going to be authentic. This is what I can do. This is what it costs. This is what it is. You know, talk to me a little bit about, I know you're sort of, a, I was looking at your LinkedIn bio. I know you've been sort of a sales guru uh, or a sales master. I don't say guru. Um, talk to me a little bit about sales. Like, how do you sell well? How do you be a good salesperson? What does that look like? Oh, thanks for asking. Definitely a very strong passion of mine um, on the selling side. I think the first thing that I always tell salespeople when they say, hey, what can you tell me? What advice can you give me about, about selling? I say, hey, you know what? I want you to spend 24 hours. I want you to look at what all these different salespeople around you are doing. And I want you to not do any of that. <laughs> <laughs> So that's really the first piece of it. The next piece of it is, is that selling really requires a, a deep understanding of where the customer is, what they're looking for, um, what's important to them, what they need from you. So I would say in a sales, um, perfect sales world, you're calling on somebody, let's say maybe for the first time. And I kind of just call it the empty bag. And that is that you walk in with the empty bag, whether you're calling on them in an office environment, whether you are in the industry I'm in, which is food service, and you're walking into you know, a restaurant or a college or whatever it might be, and um, you know your job is to sell a certain set of items, and you want to do a good job for your company, and you want to project a great image, um, walk in with an empty bag and sell absolutely nothing but yourself. Mm. Ask the questions. How can I help you? What are you looking for? Um, be there with the answers. Be ready with the answers. Where you don't know the answers, admit you don't know the answers, but go find them. <laughs> <laughs> um, the vast majority of salespeople kind of maybe come across a little bit like they're on the hustle. There'll be plenty of time to hustle once you establish that relationship with the customer. And the way to establish that relationship is to have them think of you as a consultant relative to their business. My, my probably best selling story is um, I had a big um, contract account that I called on and I had been trying to get in to their culinary department to work with their chefs for almost a year. And I had a corporate chef that I finally got an appointment for myself and the corporate chef to go in and, and meet with this customer. And on the very day, at the very hour that we were about to have our shining moment, <laughs> they had something just come unhinged. 
in their business and they needed to develop about 15 or 20 dessert recipes. Well, at the time I sold condiments. I don't know about you, but I'm a good salesperson, but I can't quite find my way into the hot fudge with the condiments that I was selling. So um, the executive chef came out and was nice enough to say, look, Julie, I know you've been trying to get this appointment for a long time. We've had something blow up back here. We're going to have to move this. So I said, hey, look, chef, I completely understand the situation, but I happen to have a chef right here. And I happen to do pretty good in an apron, can pull things out of the cooler. Let us jump in and help you. He said, look, I am so tempted to take you up on that, but I have to tell you, none of your products are going to end up in these recipes. And I said, I don't care. Mm. It's not why I offered. I'm here to help. Mm. So I can tell you that you don't always get that immediate opportunity to do something like that. but I had to go back and tell my boss that I spent three days at that operation and didn't sell a cotton picking thing. <laughs> but I will tell you this, in the months and years to come, I, uh, I blew the top off the numbers. And it's not because I'm a great salesperson. It's because the relationship put me in a position to be able to do something in a time of desperate need. So, you know, if you can find those places where you can be more of a consultant and you can be more of a help, even if it's not in your wheelhouse, um, that will always be remembered and um, appreciated. What you just shared is so powerful because you're talking and it's something that salespeople really struggle with. It's this concept of, concept of how do I really truly give value in an altruistic way, you know, mm -hmm. give without expecting in return. And um, I've realized that especially online, people don't understand what that expression means of giving value to where someone will say, hey, I want to give you some value today, you know, uh, buy this product from me, which, you know, buying from you is not getting value from you. It's, yeah. it's me giving value to you because I'm paying you. Right. But what you're talking about is it's giving, expecting nothing in return. And it almost speaks to your character and your integrity a little bit where that customer now knows the values that your business stands for and what you represent. And, and honestly, another thing I love about your story is you show a really incredible amount of patience where it feels like today's salesperson is so here and now focused. And in, and in some ways you need that, right? I mean, in some mm -hmm. ways you need, you know, not every deal needs to take two years to close, but, but there is a, what feels like a lack of patience where it's kind of like when you go to a networking event, and you go to this networking event and right off the bat, someone's like, you know, it's like they have a bag of cards and they like throw it over you and they, you know, hey, buy from me and here's this. And we've kind of lost our patience a little bit to build and nurture these relationships when realistically it's those relationships that are infinitely more profitable to our business than any of those one-off sales. And so I, I just love how, you know, you're, you're giving a perspective on business and sales that I think, and this is what's so funny about my brand is... These things are so common sense, and yet they aren't always implemented for whatever reason. Right. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think part of it really does start with leadership, though, because I recently implemented a inside sales team at the company that I work for now, which is Waypoint. 
I implemented an inside sales team and I wanted a combination of different types of people, but I definitely wanted someone who had done telemarketing so that even though this was nothing like a telemarketing position, I wanted them to have good verbal and communication skills without, you know, being seen. I wanted them to be articulate and, um, you know, to have some knowledge about the industry and what's going on. But I literally had to untrain them to close the sale. Mm. I had, I, when I told them that their goal was to establish a meaningful connection, I almost felt like I was describing a dating site. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it is really about building that confidence because when you talk to somebody on the phone, uh, there's that thing in the back of their mind going, okay, what are you going to try to sell me now? And it really isn't about that. It's about saying, hey, how can we help you? Is this the time of the year you would expect to change your menu? We've got this really cool tool that would help you determine what's really popular and trending in your market. That doesn't have anything to do with anything we sell. Mm -hmm. So this idea of, for lack of a better term, meaningful connection. But I also think there's a huge responsibility in leadership not to push people into numbers it's so short-sighted to mm. say, hey, this is all I expect you to accomplish. Mm. What could people accomplish? And I know, look, we've, we're all running companies here. We've got to be able to say, hey, we've got to succeed in some way or another. But, but should the guy or gal that just started be the same as the guy or gal who's been calling on the same customers for 10 years? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Right. And, you know, what kind of parameters are we putting on there? My first parameter is always, you know, build a good stable of meaningful connections. Do that. And then we'll worry about product training. We'll worry (laughs) about all those things later. But, you know, and this one person told me, she said, this sounds like a dating service. (laughs) No, it's, it's business dating. Let's just, let's just call it business dating. But if you think about it in that way, and in the extent that you would go to make a friendship, I mean, would you make a friendship and, and five minutes later or, on the second time you meet that person, try to, you know, sell them your Aunt Mary's peach cobbler? Probably not. (laughs) So I think it's important um, that you really establish those relationships and that knowing what is right for one person and thinking you have it all figured out is probably the most dangerous part of that walk. Oh, this person who's in this kind of business told me this, so it must be that way for everybody. There might be some commonalities, but people want to know you're really listening to them and hearing what they say. And when you come back with what they've asked for or what they need or give them some ideas around what they spoke, there's so much power in that. So much more powerful than, you know, selling three things out of the bag. (laughs) Well, it takes time to build trust, you know, but when it's there, I mean, that's the answer to a return customer, which... The data tells us a return customer is infinitely more profitable than any new one-off customer. And, you know, it's interesting. I love what you're talking about of, you know, really having conversations with people without trying to sell them right off the bat. Mm -hmm. I was talking to a woman who she's in the insurance agency and she was asking about how she can do a better job of, of retaining her customers. And I said, you should call your customers and just check in, just see how they're doing. And she was like, and and do what? And I was like, that's it. Just call and them. check in. Yeah, just check in. Because think about it. The only time you ever hear from your insurance agent is when, you know, it's the end of the year and it's time to re-up for the next year. And it's, you know, you know that they're calling to sell you something. And so how can you right. stand out and differentiate yourself? It's, right. it's seeking those authentic, meaningful relationships, which take time. It is. And I think 
it's also important to think about, you know, breaking the world of clutter that they're going through right now. And in this very moment, a lot of our people are writing handwritten notes Mm. Um, just because people's email boxes are being inundated and people's social media is being, you know, blasted away. And I'm a digital marketer too. So (laughs) I fall into that as well. Um, But I truly believe that if you think about what that authentic message is, it's going to be a little bit different for everybody, like I said. But if you think about what that customer really needs to hear, what would be reassuring, even if it's just, I was thinking about you, want you to know I was thinking about you. You know, the handwritten note is, um, is, is I bet it's going to make a comeback. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, and it's funny you say that because that was the second piece of advice was to write handwritten notes to all of our customers. So, you know, I have this podcast and then I have my customers and um, I send handwritten notes to everyone except for you. The only one I didn't send a note to because I tried to get your address and then I couldn't get it from you. And I was like, well, I don't want to come across as a stalker. And so I I don't um, remember you asking, but if you ask me again, I'll give it to you. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, there's power though. And it's, it's even less about the fact that you did a handwritten note. There's power. It's power of intentionality. It Mm -hmm. lets someone know. It's kind of like whenever you get one in the mail and you open it up and you can tell it's been pre-printed or like there's a printed signature versus the one that's an actual Right. When a customer feels like they've been individualized, like, wow, mm-hmm. I individually matter to your business, it goes a long way. It means a lot for people. So I think, I think you're spot on. Thank so. you. Julie, we are out of time today. It just flows by. Uh, it flies did. by, excuse me. What is the, what's the best way, especially people who are listening, maybe they want to get some uh, perspective on leadership. Maybe they just want to follow you more closely. What's the best way for people to do that? Probably through LinkedIn. Um, I have folks reach out to me on LinkedIn on the regular um, and get get inbox, and I answer every single one of them. I've um, I've been in the position that a lot of them are in now, and really looking for something to grab hold of and to further develop with. And so, if I can be that, that is the exact reason why I'm doing this podcast because. I really do want to be able to help people if I can. I might not, you know, we might not match up and I might not be the right kind of help for you, but I feel like if I'm not, I could maybe suggest someone who would be. So LinkedIn is probably the best way to find me. Great. Julie, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Yeah. For the listeners, uh, I will put Julie's LinkedIn profile link in this episode description. Uh, Absolutely give her a follow and follow her content. And hey, if you're a first-time listener to the podcast, what the heck are you waiting on? You need to hit that subscribe button. We're continuing to bring you some great guests and good advice on the regular. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a five-star review. That's all we have for you this week. We'll catch you later. See ya.